you've uh, been with us this summer, you know we've been looking uh, each week through going through uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the ten, we're, this morning we're at the Sixth Commandment, so we're getting there. Uh, the Ten Commandments are located twice, actually, in the Old Testament. Uh, once in Exodus uh, chapter 20, the other in Deuteronomy chapter 5. They were given under different contexts, but have uh, great meaning in both cases as well. But really, the Ten Commandments are talked about all throughout the Scriptures, so they're very rich They have a lot of meaning for us today. I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 20, and I'll read up to the sixth uh, commandment. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us here this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. May we encounter you here this morning in your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever wondered, think for a minute, have you ever wondered uh, uh, what the will of God is for your life in particular? What is God's plan for you and, and what does he want you to do with your life? Have you ever asked yourself those questions? Well, I've been involved in lots of, uh, of different uh, Christian communities over the years, and some have been really preoccupied with that question, some more than others. Some, I would say, were even obsessed with trying to determine what God's will is for their lives. I've known people that would open up their closet each morning and look inside the closet and say, God, what is your will for me to wear today? They were that concerned with it. Now, in some ways, I get it, right? And I think we all probably do. I think we all wish at times that God would give us some sort of playbook for our lives, that he would somehow lay out the future for us so that we can kind of know all the details and live accordingly, but he rarely, if ever, does, if ever does that. He more often wants us to live by faith rather than by some sort of playbook. But that doesn't mean that God leaves us alone to figure out how we ought to live 
this life. God does show us what his will for our lives are. He gives it to us in many ways in these Ten Commandments. You see, these were Ten Commandments that were given to a freed people group. God's people had been freed from their Egyptian enslavement. God carried them out of their bondage. He brought them to the mountain of God, and then he told them that this is how he wanted them to live. And one of the things that we believe is that they are still binding to us today, meaning that they have just as much meaning today as they did when they were originally given to God's people. One of the things that we've talked about is that it's easy to misunderstand them, that, they, that it's easy to think that they are a way for us to earn our way back to God, that somehow through obedience to them, through our good deeds outweighing our bad deeds, we can earn our way back into God's favor. But one of the things that we learn from the gospel is that that is impossible. That in our sin, we have rebelled to such a degree that there's no way we could earn our way back to God. We instead have realized that the only way back to God is through his grace. So instead, they were given to God's people after they had been saved by his grace to help them understand what God's will for their life is. And they often have a much fuller meaning than we often realize when we look at them at faith value. And in many ways, this commandment is true just as the others are. Whenever I think about the commandments, I like to think of them as as batteries of sort. I know that sounds a little weird, but whenever you have a battery, you have what? You have a, a positive and you have a negative. In fact, a battery won't work unless it has a positive charge and a negative charge. Well, in many ways, the commandments are like this. In many ways, they both identify negative behavior, but they also celebrate the positive. So as we look at this commandment, this week's commandment, we see that it does just that. And what I'd like us to see really quickly are two negatives that this commandment is speaking about, and then two positives that they are speaking about as well. And the first negative may be the one that is most obvious. Thou shalt not murder, or you shall not murder, meaning that we ought not to cause or do physical harm to others. You shall not take the life of another, because life is precious. You may wonder why the scriptures talk a lot about blood. In fact, even when we sing a lot of songs, we have the concept of blood in them. To somebody who maybe uh, is, is here for the first time or exposed to the Christian community first, we wonder, why do people talk so much about blood within the context of the gospel and the Christian community? Well, blood in the scriptures was always the sign of life. So to spill blood of another or to spill the blood of another was not just a crime against that person, but a crime against life and a crime against God himself. In fact, one of the first principles that you read about in the book of Genesis is that God made humanity in his image. Humanity was a unique among all of creation in that it had the fingerprints of God uniquely all over it. Humanity is set apart from all the rest of creation because of this, because it was made in God's image. And so the image of God infuses each life with a certain measure 
of sacredness. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his famous sermon uh, that was called The Weight of Glory. When he talked about this, he said that all of us, each person that we rub shoulders with, all of us are eternal beings that are destined for some sort of eternity. He said there are no ordinary, regular people. Each person reflects the image of God in a special and unique way. In fact, we can even learn about God by observing His image on display in other people. So think for a minute about the most vile and hateful person that you can imagine. Just think, keep it to yourself. We don't need to shout it out. But think about that most vile and hateful person and recognize that that person still is infused with the image of God, and that image of God ought to be treated with sacredness. So to take life is a crime against the image of God in another person. This week I saw a a video uh, about the old comedian Jim Carrey. I know I'm going to date myself a little bit, uh, but my generation uh, uh, was always entertained by some of the, the comedy of Jim Carrey. And then and then for some reason, he kind of fell off the map or he fell off the radar for many years. And, and what I've discovered, I don't know much about it, but what I've discovered is he's been on this kind of spiritual journey throughout his, his absence. And it's been really interesting. I've been meaning to, to look into his life. But uh, a video surfaced this week uh, about a talk that he gave at a, uh, at a shelter in Los Angeles. And this uh, shelter in Los Angeles is, is run by Catholic charities, and it's run by a father, and uh, it houses some of the, uh, uh, the, the most troubled folks in Los Angeles, uh, convicts, uh, murderers, uh, folks recovering from addiction, folks that are experiencing homelessness. These are the people that have nowhere else to go. Because they are considered to be the dregs of society. No want, nobody wants to be around these people, and so they live at this shelter. And Jim Carrey decided that he wanted to visit them. And there's video of this talk that he gave, and immediately he walks into their presence. They give him the microphone. He looks around, and he says, You are all of my heroes because God is in this room. See, what he recognized is that each person is infused with the image of God, and that means that each life is sacred. Sure, it might be hard to trace the image of God in some people, but it is still there. So to hatefully harm another, to murder, to spill blood is a crime against God. It is a violation of the sacredness of life. So for many of us, when we think about this this commandment, for many of us, so far, so good. We've got this one to some degree covered, right? But there is more to this than we often think at face value. See, we'd, we'd like to stop here and go home thinking, well, I may have broken those other covenants, but at least, or those other commandments, but at least I've gotten to one that I've got covered. At least one of this is one of the ones I can feel good about myself. And see, what that is is a tendency in all of our hearts to soften the law, to somehow lessen its demands, to feel like it is obtainable and we can then feel good about ourselves or feel self-righteous. But as you peer into it, this commandment is far deeper than we often realize. 
Because while there is one negative that says, do not cause physical harm to another, there's a deeper meaning that says we ought to do no emotional harm to others as well. Jesus gives us a, a fuller understanding of this commandment when he talks about it on the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's establishing a few things when it comes to this commandment. First thing he's saying is that our behavior is always connected to our hearts. In fact, Jesus' main issue with the religious people of his day was that their behavior did not match the state of their heart. He said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What Jesus is saying here is that we ought not just to avoid the behavior of murder, but the heart of murder as well. You see, if we harbor hate and anger in our hearts toward another, we are guilty of murdering them, according to what Jesus says here. Calvin says, God orders not just our hands and our feet, but also our hearts and our affections. We can murder people with our hearts because our behavior is always connected to the state of our heart. But what Jesus is also saying here is that our heart is also connected to our speech. Later on, Jesus said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. See, friends, we can do serious harm with our words, with our speech. In fact, the book of James describes the tongue as a restless evil that leaves great destruction in its wake. In many ways, you don't have to, you don't need me to tell you about this. All of us have felt the emotional sting from the sharp word of another person. We can all remember words spoken by others that have stuck with us ever since those words were spoken. And all of us have probably said those words too. We've said things in haste and in anger that can never be taken back or never taken away. Words that have harmed other people, whether it's loved ones or anybody else that crosses our path. We've been guilty of belittling others, of speaking harshly towards someone that is annoying, of quietly assassinating the character of another person. All of us understand the power of our words, and all of us have at one time felt the carnage of another person's words and been responsible for that carnage in another person's life. And the scariest thing of all is that those words, according to Jesus, reflect the true condition of our hearts. You see, we can physically murder someone. 
We can murder someone within our hearts, and our words can shed blood too. We can murder in deed, in word, and in thought. And all of these are prohibited here in this sixth commandment. So that's what it means from a negative side, but, but what about the positive side? One commentator said that, of course, the sixth commandment prohibits the taking of life, but it also promotes the, crea- the, the creation of conditions that protect and enhance it as well. So whenever a, a behavior is forbidden, its counterpart is demanded. And this can work out in really two distinctive ways. It positively means that each one of us do work for right relationships. If murder is about the destruction of life and the destruction of relationships, then to pursue life is to pursue right relations with other people. You see, our behavior, our hearts, and our speech ought to be directed towards fostering right relationships. Romans 12 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Friends, to live at peace with everyone, I think, is impossible on this side of heaven. But God calls us to work towards that end, to create conditions that foster reconciliation and peace. So to honor this commandment is to invest in relationships, to invest in right relationships. And let's be honest, those relationships are, always require investment, and often that investment is costly. This is why I think it's important for us to also understand our context. We live, sadly, in a city where physical harm is the norm. Uh, I read just this week that we are already past the, the 200 murder mark Uh, here in Baltimore for 2017. So we ought to ask, how can we personally foster right relationships in our lives? But we ought also ask, how can we, as God's people, contribute to create conditions in our city that foster right relationships? How can we contribute to great climates and conditions and neighborhoods that foster peace? How can we behold the image of God in others and help others contemplate the image of God in their neighbor? How can we promote right relationships? So this commandment calls us to work towards right relationships, but it also calls us to pursue love for our neighbor. John Calvin said that we must hold our neighbor's life dear. See, murder in all its forms is the opposite of neighborliness. It's the opposite of of loving your neighbor as yourself, which we are called to. 
So we're not just called to avoid murder, but also to positively work towards the good and for the good of those people that God puts in our path. Calvin, in fact, noted that each time we fail to help our neighbor in need, we kill him. So, friends, this is what the life of gratitude looks like. A life that has been saved, that has been set free and purchased by Christ, is a life that pursues love for one's neighbor. And when we do this, our lives will be noticed. People will stop and remark at how different we are when we, in gratitude, live out these commandments. Our uniqueness will be on display for all of the world to see. So do you find yourself ever struggling to live a life of gratitude? I was listening to a a podcast this week uh, about uh, the struggle for gratitude And the subject of the podcast uh, was brought in, in some ways, as an expert on gratitude. And she mentioned that one of the practices that she does is each night she writes a list of gratitude before she goes to bed. Every time before she goes to sleep, she adds to her list of gratitude. She said in many ways doing that set up a, a hack in her mind to always throughout the day be looking for things to be grateful for so that she could add them to her list later in the night. But even with those practices, she said, she still finds it incredibly hard to live a life of gratitude. So are you like her? Do you find it hard to live a life of gratitude? Do you find yourself struggling to display the uniqueness of God in your culture and in your world? Well, if so, then look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. Because we know in Jesus we find one who welcomes those who struggle. So look to Christ. Because what the gospel tells us is that for him to pursue us in love as a neighbor, for him to accomplish a right relationship with his people, it meant that he would need to subject himself to both physical and emotional harm. He suffered physically through the pain of a horrific execution. He suffered emotionally as his friends rejected him, as the crowd mocked him, and as the father turned his back on him. And he did all this for you, you who were once his enemy. The gospel tells us that we were enemies of God. In sin, we had wandered away from God and rebelled against his perfect will. And yet, despite all that, Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. All this he did for you. He did it so you would no longer be called an enemy. Instead, you, in a right relationship with him, can be called a friend. Even better than that, a son of God. 
So friends, look to Christ. Find in him the strength not just to no longer harm others, but to pursue right relationships and pursue love for your neighbor. Let's pray.